Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snack Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Welcome back to the Indie Cornrows Podcast. This is episode three of the George Hill Hometown Hero episode. And today on the show, we have a new Indie Cornrows writer, Brooks Hepp, who is going to join us and talk about Team USA and Miles Turner, experience them from their games over in Australia as we prepare for the FIBA World Cup, which tips off this weekend. So we had a fun conversation with Brooks about all that, uh, along with the potential for T.J. Leaf making a little bit of a leap this year. We shall see. But as I said, this is the George Hill episode, and I have to agree with the voters once again at Indy Cornrows giving the nod to George for the episode honor. He uh, beat out Al Harrington, who made a late charge in the voting, which I found interesting. Uh, but, you know, Al has a great following here in Indiana. He was a guy who was drafted... Very young, like 18, out of high school back in the day, and um, just had a great smile, ton of energy, joining a very good veteran team. So nothing was expected of him right away. Um, great stories. Um, his rookie year, he lived with Anthony Davis and his full nuclear family, which was run by Mama Davis. <laughs> and uh, great stories from that. And eventually he, he got to a point where he was able to play, but really his, um, you know, his prime years, his best years in the NBA were spent uh, in Atlanta and, um, you know, Denver and, and New York with the Knicks. Uh, never really got to see the full, full um, potential that he had here in Indiana, even though, he you know, he played well here. He was part of some good teams. Um, I always felt like he was a guy that should have gone to college um, just because he, he played on a team where he wasn't able to play right away. And when he did get to play when he was really young, he was just, you know, all energy and excited and hadn't had those reps. If, if you know, say he went to a North Carolina or Syracuse or somewhere where you're playing, you know, high-pressure big games, getting reps in front of, you know, 20,000, 30,000 people, uh, on big games on ESPN, and, and you got to make plays down the stretch, and you got to be the guy to make free throws, and all those things. Um, I think that would have helped Al out a little bit in his development. As it was, he had to wait his turn in Indy uh, because of the type of team they had. And, um, you know, he, he was a great NBA player, no doubt, but I always felt that maybe there was a little more that could have come out of him earlier in his career if he had spent at least a couple of years in college. But, alas, he didn't. Um, a guy who did spend 
time in college at IUPUI. And of course, a broad ripple rocket. Um, unfortunately, broad ripple, poor one out, is uh, no longer um, around. But George Hill was definitely a local legend, hometown hero, all those things. And um, I recall watching him in high school when he was leading the state in scoring. Just a beautiful three-point stroke all day. I remember, and I talked to him about this, when playing up in Carmel at, at um, a sectional, early sectional game, uh, the team they were playing against ran a box and one on George. Except the box was on George, and the one was pretty much in the lane, willing to cover everybody else. And I was like, he loved that because he stood up and was like, see, I told you. Um, so... Uh, he was a prolific scorer in college and has developed his game, turned into more of a point guard, a great defensive presence, all-around player in the NBA, and it's been fun to see him develop uh, because even even when he was leading the state in scoring, um, he wasn't highly recruited. I mean, he, he was, but he wanted to stay around for family reasons around Indy. But he was so slight and small, it just seemed like he wouldn't, you know, make it to the NBA, but um, that that guy has some grit, and we know uh, he he's had a, a great career. Of course, he is part of the infamous Kawhi Leonard trade, so his name always brings up uh, interesting conversations around Indy. But he did nothing but give us good years here on some very good teams that challenged LeBron and and the Miami Heat um, a few years ago. So kudos to George Hill and. Appreciate all you've done for the Pacers and uh, appreciate your career thus far in the NBA, which continues to this day. All right. Um, one other thing I wanted to mention before we get to Brooks in our uh, chat is it's crazy around Indy right now because of the retirement of Andrew Luck out of the blue on Saturday, of course. And it just, you know, can't help hearing that and thinking, oh my gosh, can you imagine if in a few weeks, Oladipo is like, this knee is just not going to happen. I'm sick of rehabbing. I'm done. I'm out. Thank you. Love you, Indy. Um, but I, I'm going to retire. Um, I can't imagine <laughs> how the Pacers would recover from that. Uh, it's already going to be a challenging year this year, I think. Although, um, hearing Victor talk um, last week was kind of promising because I felt like he was sitting on um, some positive, um, you know, results or positive feelings, at least, for him coming back and, and making an impact this year. But I can't imagine um, if all of a sudden this dropped right at the beginning of the season. you got to feel bad for, you know, obviously good luck to Andrew Luck. hope, you know, he has a great retirement and everything, but obviously he's hasn't died. He's fine. He's going to survive. He's... Got a great life ahead of them, um, but for the Colts this year, they're stuck scrambling, trying to fill that major gap in leadership and obviously ability. And um, uh, I guess in a, in a sport where you got eleven men instead of five on on the on the field, um, it isn't quite as bad. But whew, it just kind of sent a shiver up my spine thinking um, about. Oladipo getting to a point where he's sick of rehabbing or, or having issues and not being able to come back at 100%. And that is scary. 
All right, let's talk about happier things. And that is Miles Turner and Team USA. Miles has been starting for Team USA, officially on the team, as they prepare to go to China for the FIBA World Cup. And on to talk about with us is Brooks Hep. Here's our conversation. All right, joining us now is Brooks Hep, the latest writer at Indy Cornrows. Really happy to have Brooks on board uh, providing us content. Uh, young writer out of DePaul University, Indianapolis area, and he is a great writer and has helped us cover the Team USA so far as they uh, went to uh, Australia for three preparation games, as the FIBA crowd calls it, uh, before they head over to China for the FIBA World Cup, and we obviously have an eye on everything that Miles Turner was doing over there, and He's officially now on the team and actually playing a pretty big role. So uh, we're glad to have Brooks in to help get us up to speed. Brooks, thanks for joining the pod. Yeah, thanks, Tom, for having me on. I'm excited. Yeah, no problem. So um, Team USA played uh, two games against the Australian team, split those games, and then played Team Canada Monday morning. Uh, Indiana time, I guess. Uh, went two and one. And little up and down effort from Miles. He, um, had a strong first game against Australia and then, uh, didn't do much in game two and then came back with a great effort against Canada, at least statistically. Um, so, um, what did you see from Miles in those games? Yeah, I mean, I think, uh, especially games, one three. There's a lot of optimism as to Miles's um, his off season, his progression, everything. Um, the big things that stuck out to me specifically uh, was his rebounding effort uh, in those both those games, uh, having 14 and 15 rebounds in those games. Uh, I mean, Canada is a little bit of an anomaly just because they're a pretty small team, yeah. Uh, yeah. but. Uh, but Australia has a front court of Aaron Baines and Andrew Bogut, who are both big bodies. And uh, so it was promising to see Miles get 14 rebounds in that first game. Um, someone pointed this out in one of the comments on uh, one of my recaps. And uh, this makes a lot of sense was he didn't have any blocks in that first game either. And um, there weren't as many opportunities for him to contest at the rim as we're normally seeing the off season. So that freed him up to get some more rebounds, which is a good uh, observation. But um, that's, that was one thing that was pretty, that was promising. And then the other was um, his, his pick and pop game has just been awesome so far. Uh, he's building some great chemistry with both Kemba Walker and Donovan Mitchell with that, uh, with the pick and pop game, which I think is important for him to continue to develop with, playing alongside Sabonis, who's going to be more of the pick-and-roll man. Uh, it will be essential for Miles to, you know, um, really complete that pick-and-pop game to be the contrast to Sabonis' role. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, uh, obviously, he would probably love to have uh, Kimba Walker coming with him to Indy, but, uh, you know, he'll he'll be having to develop a, a different, um, a little bit different style with with Malcolm Brogdon just because they haven't played together. So um, I, I feel like all of the experience he's getting with his Team USA team is um, 
is perfect for his development. Um, good, bad, or indifferent, whether he plays well or not. He's just getting exposed to different players and different coaching and different uh, situations, and it's all going to be good in the end. <clears throat> Obviously, he's going to be putting some extra miles on. Uh, you know, they have the preseason trip to India. That's going to be brutal, but in the long run, um, this is going to be uh, a really good experience for Miles. Um, you know, he's only 23, and and both both you know this goes for Sabonis as well. I mean, he's he's playing um, with the Lithuanian team and doing a lot of work. And actually, the fact that he is playing on a team with Jonas Valanciunas, you know, makes him play you know at maybe that. Uh, power forward position he could be playing alongside with Miles. So um, those are great reps for those young guys. And I think, you know, we'll, we'll see the benefits at some point, even if it takes them a little while to uh, get going in the regular season of the NBA. Yeah, I, I completely agree. Um, the fatigue factor is definitely a it's a slight concern to think about at least especially with that india trip but uh there are so many instances in um recent nba history of guys having breakout seasons after playing with team usa and i mean obviously popovich is the best in the business and um you can definitely see especially from miles standpoint um improvements he's already made so yeah i agree that it's in the long run. It's going to be a great benefit for for both of them. Yeah, and it, the other thing I was looking um, the great legendary uh, online presence of John Schumann uh, from NBA.com and many NBA blogs in past years. Um, he is you know following the team pretty well, and he put out their uh, stat totals today after the game and. Miles is at, you know, seventh in total minutes. So, you know, he's not playing a ton, even though he's starting at center, which is great. But they're, they're playing a lot of lineups where they don't really necessarily have a center all the time on the floor. So, um, it seems like, uh, Brooke Lopez and, um, Plumley are kind of splitting those backup minutes and, um, you know, Miles is getting, you know, around 20 minutes a game. So the workload isn't huge in that fact. But um, just real quick going through, uh, I got this up, the, the numbers. So he's what, seventh in total minutes. So, and this is through five games. So this is including the two games prior to the Australia trip. Um, but he's shooting over 70% which is great. He's only shot three total three points, three pointers, made two of them. Um, he's made all his free throws, but he's only shot six. So those are things where patient fans are like, oh, <laughs> you know, that's, that's what we want. We want more free throws, we want more threes for miles. But so, you know, whatever they're doing, you know, with Team USA, they, they, Team USA, if you, if you have been watching them, they do, they have been taking a lot of mid-range opportunities, um, even, you know, with uh, Donovan Mitchell and all these guys in the pick and roll. They haven't necessarily been just threes and layups. Um, so, but, but continuing on, um, he, you know, leads the team in rebounding by, by a good margin uh, with 35 rebounds. And I think next is Kimba Walker with 22. So 
Um, and then he has six block shots. But like you said, he, he has a role on this team. Rebounding is obviously a big role, defending the rim, being a big man. And um, I, I saw a clip of him talking about that, that, you know, he he's playing a, a winning role. He, he wants to do what he has to do for the team to win. And so, you know, his, his focus isn't going to be on finding his shot. It's going to be on cleaning up and, and getting rebounds and getting his shots in that, you know, sense of the game where uh, things are happening outside of the general offense. Um, one, one other thing that has been, I guess, a negative if when you're looking at it um, is some of his play with the ball in the post or around the rim. You know, we saw him work with Kevin McHale and, and there's great hopes of him developing into some of that low post magic that McHale has. Um, but you can still see he's a little uncomfortable at times. You know, Miles always tends to get a little, um, you know, mind ahead of body at times and and he'll hit hit a dead end when he's trying to go into a series of moves and either get off balance or, you know, just try and get rid of the ball or take a bad shot. And there's been some of that as well, don't you think? Oh, yeah. Um, I think everyone in the Pacers fan base, you know, they heard all about Kevin McHale and working out with Miles and stuff. And I think everyone's expectations shot up a little bit too much about Miles' back-to-the-basket game. Uh, But, yeah, no, you nailed it um, right on the head. The um, Canada um, was a kind of like an all-switch team um, defensively Mm -hmm. where they were switching um, most, if not all, of their their screens and – uh, you know, Caitlin Cooper's done a lot of pieces on this in the past about the struggles the Pacers have had against defenses that are like that. And part of that is because Miles hasn't been able to abuse those smaller bodies when they get switched on to him. And you nailed it with, you know, if there is probably one thing that's been the most disappointing so far in watching his game, it's been uh, against Canada when he got those switches. Uh, he wasn't able to finish uh, against some of those smaller bodies uh, like you mm-hmm. would hope he, was, he would be able to. Um, but he did demand the ball at least when he got those switches. And it, I mean, that in itself shows that he might have some more confidence in his back-to-the-basket game. Cause Maybe steps up. Switches, yeah. <laughs> he was asking for the ball and – um, but yeah, overall that was def that's still a struggle for him. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, you know, it, it, Rome wasn't built in a day with, with that. Um, I did see it, you know, even, even in those clips that don't, um, sh- you know, end well, <laughs> um, I, I felt like, and maybe I'm just projecting this because I haven't gone back and looked at all the past clips of, of miles in the post, but you know, one thing I love about McHale, and something that can help draw fouls and things, is that assertive pump faking um, to get a guy to go up and maybe go under or, or, you know, create some space. And I felt like he had that. It's just that, okay, now you pump fake, and now what are you going to do? You know, that next progression in those moves, he's just, right. you know, McHale could go for 10 minutes straight probably, pump faking, jab stepping, pivoting, you know, never get off balance, never feel out of control whereas you know miles has got to develop that where he where he's comfortable 
with the ball and and staying in control of the possession the whole time. So, um, but you know, at least he he has some uh, a little bit of a template to help to help figure that out. It's just you know experience and and obviously getting it done in the crunch of a game time. So we'll keep an eye on that um, as we're, we're moving on to China with with Team USA. Yeah, you know, it's been um, just overall, though, he um, he has separated himself um, amongst those centers, you know, with him, yeah, Lopez, yeah. and Plumlee, uh, which is he's pretty clearly the number one guy, number one center on the roster, um, even though Popovich, uh, it's worth noting that Popovich closed that game two loss to Australia with without any three of them on the court. Um right. He ended with, I think it was like Harrison Barnes was the biggest guy he had technically playing center, I suppose. Um, but, uh, as opposed, as to those three, I think Miles will get the, the heavy bulk of the, of the minutes. And, you know, as crunch time comes up with FIBA and you get into knockout stages and everything, I think you're going to be, you're going to see less and less Plumley and Lopez and more Miles minutes, more, no center minutes, and uh, so I think we get a bigger sample size too. Yeah, and um, you know with Sabonis, um, I haven't seen as much of his action. Uh, I know Lithuania is not quite as strong a team, um, but he he's been you know he's been scoring around double figures uh, for them, and they, you know they sh- they should do pretty well. We'll see if they get into Later into the uh, final rounds of uh, the tournament, that's uh, I think the only time when they could actually match up. Um, he he missed a uh, Sabonis missed a game on uh, Saturday, I believe, uh, with but just with uh, food poisoning of some sort. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, but um, it looks like he played in their latest game, and they have one more game tomorrow against the Czech Republic before they head on to. Russia, or uh, to uh, China. So, um, again, almost all of the things we've been saying about Miles kind of apply to Sabonis. I feel it's kind of a bonus to have those two getting those minutes heading into camp. Yeah, um, a crazy stat I'm going to throw out to you uh, <laughs> about Sabonis. Um, they, they had a game against, an exhibition against Russia last week, and he drew 12 fouls on Russian defenders, which is just an absolutely absurd. Um, he, he ended up with 25 points, 13 rebounds, and caused 12 fouls, 12 Russians, uh, <laughs> which is just insane. But yeah, I think with Sabonis, what's going to be the most intriguing um, about watching him play in FIBA is, you mentioned this earlier, is playing alongside Valanciunas, uh, mm-hmm. that he's going to be in that power forward uh, position that we haven't seen too much of the past couple of years, and we're going to be seeing a lot of this year, obviously, with starting next to Miles, and that goes for both Offensively and defensively. I mean, offensively, we're going to see how he spaces um, the floor playing alongside a second big. And then even more so on defense, I mean, he's more agile than uh, Valanciunas is. So he's going to be the one guarding the smaller of the two front court players on the opposing team. And if he can hang his own out on the perimeter, uh, that's what that's what the Pacers need him to do because – 
Um, in an ideal world, they could keep Miles guarding the center to protect the rim, and then Sabonis would take the smaller, the front court guys to play on the perimeter. So this would be a nice sneak peek in the scene, you know, how well can he move his feet, his hip mobility, everything out on the perimeter to guard a smaller guy and allow Valanciunas to, you know, hang out in the paint. Yeah, absolutely. I, I'm, uh, it's funny to think about Sabonis, you know, drawing those fouls and doing those things. It's like if you could just meld Turner and Sabonis together, divide them in two, <laughs> we might be perfect. Oh, um, it'd be all star. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's like they, they both do their certain things well and then they have their little things and hopefully maybe, you know, maybe there can be that little yin and yang when they're playing together. If they can ever figure it out, um, especially offensively, it'd be, it'd be, uh, fantastic. So, all right. Well, I'm looking forward to seeing a little bit more of, uh, a bonus once uh, things chip off. I think most of the games for the FIBA World Cup, or at least on like ESPN Plus or somewhere online, I've been right. watching. I've been watching the the Australian games on Twitch, which has been good. I love the Australian announcers; they got some energy. Oh yeah, no, those, <laughs> those games were fun. I mean, sold out crowd. And yeah. Every, um, as much as it was tough to see, you know, the oh, U.S. Yeah. In that second game, that was that was pretty iconic. With you know Patty Mills turning back yeah. the clock, thirty points against his NBA coach uh, in front of the home crowd, everything. Um, you know, it always cracks me up with those that international play. How there are just some killers in the international play who are just you know average to above average NBA players. I always yeah. wonder, it's like, how are they so good internationally and not that good in the NBA? It's, it's just funny. So it's yeah. fun to watch. Yeah. It's like, um, well, looking at some of the better teams that the U S will be facing, you know, you got Serbia with Nikola Jokic and, you know, the Greek team with the Antetokounmpo family. And, but like Nick Kalafis, who's a, you know, good college player, at Maryland, he's a beast in <laughs> international play. So, uh, like you say, you never know. These guys know what they're doing and, and rise up and, and play well, especially when they when they get a chance to go at um, some of the better teams. Um, yeah, yeah, and um, I'm happy you brought up Serbia too um, because I think Serbia is the one team that uh, we could see um, – kind of like a double big lineup with the United States, uh, which would be a good, you know, sneak peek into how Miles is developing, playing alongside another big, because um, because Serbia puts out a front court of Jokic and, and Boban. So yeah. it's like, I mean, do you put, like, <laughs> you guard Tatum or um, Harrison Barnes on Jokic? Like, pr- uh, like, maybe not. Like, that might be the one game you see some, like, Miles Turner, uh, Mason Plumlee double big lineups. And it would just be anxious to see how Miles um, does spacing the floor alongside the second big, just like he will be with Sabonis. So something just to keep your eye out for. Yeah, definitely. Might have to have an extra cup of coffee for that one. Oh, man. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but, you know, uh, I saw this today, article on The Ringer by Dan Devine talking about Team USA. And I, I, I kind of feel I could see this happening with this team because, you know, all the star stars of the NBA essentially 
have bailed out the team this year. Um, and so expectations are low for a Team USA team, even though they're one of the top teams. Um, and, you know, he, Devine was right, just writing about how he, he's all in on this team. It, you know, he's enjoying it. And, um, even though obviously the, the flaws you could point out and, and the lack of star power, but he's enjoying watching them go through the process and get better and, and show that they can play. And, you know, thinking about that, it's like, yeah, this is really actually a team that could capture, you know, the spirit, you know, America loves an underdog. And now, you know, as, as far as we can go, this could be an underdog team. Plus you got guys like Kimball Walker and Donovan Mitchell and, and Marcus Smart. These guys just play hard. They're fun to watch. They're fun to root for. And, um, it'd be fun if, if, you know, they could get some traction and build that confidence and make a run at the title. I think by the, by the end of that, that tournament, um, they'd all be getting some good pub and, and people would be, uh, really engaged in what they're doing. So hopefully, uh, hopefully that'll be the case. Yeah. It's this like nice combination of yeah, like young up and coming players like Miles and, you know, Jalen Brown and Tatum, the guys like that. And these, you know, like scrappy veterans, like, you know, Mason Plumley and Marcus Smart, like you said, and, um, like Joe Harris and stuff. I mean, it's, it's, yeah, like it's a fun group of guys to, to cheer for. And it's not a given. I mean, there's been so many international years where it's just, you know, USA dominating pretty much every game because you have the, you know, the likes of LeBron James and Kobe Bryant, everything playing. It's like, okay, well, they got to actually fight for it this year. I mean, it's not, um, it's not a given at all. So yeah, it'll be fun to watch. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, the action in China at the World Cup tips off this weekend and Lithuania plays Senegal on Sunday at 7.30 a.m. Indy time, East Coast time. And then, um, Team USA plays the Czech Republic, um, with Tomas Sadoransky and a bunch of other guys I don't know at 8, uh, 8.30 a.m. So they're not in the same city. I know USA is in Shanghai. So, uh, Domas and Miles won't be, you know, hanging out. But, uh, but those games will be on and, you know, there's, I'm sure they're going to be on NBA TV and maybe some on ESPN too. I bet Team USA is on ESPN. Mm-hmm. I know a lot of them are streaming on ESPN Plus. So, um, we'll try to get some game threads going for the, um, for the USA game and, and have y'all covered for that. Looking forward to it. All right, we'll be back with Brooks in a moment. Okay, we're back with Brooks Hep. And we want to touch on the possibility of a Leaf Leap. Uh, Brooks recently wrote uh, a piece about TJ Leaf and whether we think he may be able to make a little leap and make a big impact for the Pacers or even any impact for the Pacers this year. Um, he recently wrote, wrote a piece uh, for Indy Cornrows. So, Want to guide you to that, but wanted to, uh, you know, talk with Brooks about that and get his thoughts on, on, uh, what he thinks about Leaf. Yeah. So basically a little rundown of, you know, the piece I wrote and just my opinion and, 
intrigue heading forward with TJ Leaf is that, um, I mean, he's, he's up for his fourth year player option. I mean, that fourth year team option. Um, it's worth $4.3 million is, you know, is he worth that money? Is he going to get that, um, that option picked up and have an opportunity to earn a second contract? Um, you know, that's still sort of undecided. And if you break it down into, you know, the things he does well and the things he doesn't do well, um, what he does well, obviously is, um, uh, actually surprisingly is rebounding. I mean, people love to knock, uh, Leaf for his lack of athleticism and that doesn't really affect his rebounding game. And it's as simple as he just has a, a very strong knack to, of where the ball is going to end up. And, you know, looking at the advanced statistics for his rebounding, uh, he's, Third on the team in total rebounding percentage, um, behind Sabonis and Turner. And he was second on the team in offensive rebounding percentage, just behind Sabonis. And, uh, he has that true knack to just know where the ball is going to come off the rim. And for a team that finished 24th in the league in rebounding, uh, I mean, that's a huge skill to have. Um, it benefits a negative that we have as, the Pacers have as a team. Um, and then the other thing is that he's, you know, he's, he has improved from year one to year two. Uh, if you look at his numbers, his, his minutes per game, basically the same. And he, but he still increased points, rebounds, assists, field goal percentage. Uh, all of his advanced statistics went up, uh, with like Vorp and, uh, box plus minus and everything. Uh, so he is improving. So it's not out of the picture for him to, you know, take a, take a leap in this game from year two to three. Uh, but the two biggest things that he needs to improve on is defense. Um, I don't think he'll ever become a, um, even an average defender, but if he can just get up to like, I mean, just suitable, like a Doug <laughs> level. Yeah. It's like even like he doesn't have to be good at defending, just suitable. It'll be fine. And then he's got to improve his outside shot too. Um, he showed so much promise shooting outside in his rookie year. And then that just fell flat last year. I mean, not Literally. only, yeah, not only did he, his numbers go down, but I mean, his shot was ugly from deep last year, just fell off his hand flat. Um, he wasn't confident with it. Uh, so if you're going to target two things to that he needs to improve to take that leap, it's defense and outside shooting. Yeah. You're so right about the shooting. I mean, he looked like a different player last year. And, I, I mean, I know he bulked up a little bit, um, but the shot was just not – I mean, not only was it a lot flatter, it just seemed a lot more robotic, a lot more – uh, mechanical, I guess. Um, but yeah, I agree. The one thing I think gets overlooked is he is pretty active and can move around, can go get the ball, knows how to play the game well. Um, and really, when he's in there, you know, he, he can find the ball and put it and, and around the rim. He's got a nice array of, you know, little jump hooks and shots and ways to score the ball. Um, and really his biggest issue is, you know, the size and getting bumped around 
Um, and then, you know, some of the defensive lateral movement that uh, he can get caught on. But I think, really, that, that three-point shot was one of the main reasons the Pacers drafted him is, you know, mm-hmm. he's a, you know, a, a four-man that can shoot the three and, and, ha- and, you know, projected to that after one year at UCLA. And the fact that that's kind of declined is, has been one that's been disappointing. And maybe if, it, if, if that alone got back to, on track to where he was going, cause like you say, he shot, you know, not as much, but pretty well as, fre- um, freshman year, his uh, rookie year. If he could get back up into that, you know, high 30, low 40 range on the, you know, cause he's not going to get a ton of attempts. He's still going to be a role player off the bench, but, um, he, his game would open up if he could make that three and, and be that threat. Um, and then, you know, doing the other little dirty work would just be gravy. Um, uh, but I, I, you know, I get back to that, you know, the, the defensive stuff is gonna, you know, he could survive with the way the Pacers play team defense, but offensively, he, the reason you would have him in there would be, you know, because he's gonna give you an offensive boost and that three point shot would be such a big part of that. Um, I think that's, a critical area for, you know, for the leap. So, um, like I say, it'll be interesting to see uh, what they do uh, going forward with Leaf, if they just cut their losses or keep them around. I mean, I know he's well thought within the within the field house there and, um, you know, not, wouldn't necessarily be giving up on him, but he's got to show up early. <laughs> he's got to show up at training camp and ready to roll. Um, yeah. Where he like he's getting uh he's been sort of the scapegoat for the past two years. Not scapegoat, but I mean fans have loved to rip on Leaf the past mm-hmm. two years. And I think that's partly because listen to the next five um the next five draft picks after TJ Leaf in the 2017 draft. So TJ Leaf went eighteen. So these are picks nineteen through twenty-three. John Collins Harry Giles, oh. Terrence Ferguson, mm. Jarrett Allen, OG Anthony. So, I mean, yeah, OG, yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, that's, I mean, from 19 through 23, you don't get much better than those guys. <laughs> uh, so it's just like, oh, like we couldn't have, like, all the fans are saying to themselves, oh, we couldn't have gotten one of those five guys instead of TJ Leaf. But it's, I mean, the 18th pick in the draft that doesn't normally turn out to be some stud. So um, I think in any other year, <laughs> if he's not followed by five yeah. uh, pretty successful draft picks. I mean, even after that, you got Kuzma and Derek White, Josh Hart too, that were picked late in that, in that first round. And um, so I think he's gotten kind of been the brunt of a lot of jokes and just negative feedback. And I just, I'm, I don't think it's the end for him. I think that he will still be, I think he'll be in that kind of, you know, 9.5, 10, 10th man type role like he has been in the past um, two years. Um, but I think with the roster makeup, with not really having any true power forwards besides him uh, on the roster, you know, we either go big with um, Miles Sabonis front court, or you go small with pushing 
TJ Warren down to yeah. power forward that there's going to be matchups where, um, there's going to be matchups where, you know, TJ Warren can't play, um, minutes at the four because he just can't get rebounds. He's not a good rebounder and it's like Leafs going to have to, you know, give quality minutes there. So I think as long as he stays healthy, I think you're going to see um, a pretty big rise in, in minutes for him this year, even if that, even if he takes that leap or not. I think he will be pushing somewhere between 12 to 15 minutes per game instead of, I think he was at 9.3 last year. Uh, yeah. I think, um, yeah, that's a great point you make about the guys coming after him in the draft because, like you say, at that point, there's really so many guys that you know, you could see as being a good fit who have who are excelling, but I mean, Leaf was I mean he's young also, um, so a lot of times the uh, age isn't you know factored in there to normalize things, and um, but he's getting now he's at the point where you gotta see some movement and um, I do think he'll get that opportunity um, early you know in camp and. And maybe early in the season, you know, like you say, they do need, at, at some point, they're going to need, uh, front court help off the bench. And, you know, if, if they don't go, you know, if Leaf's not that guy doing what he can do, they're going to be turned to Alizé Johnson that, you know, hey, maybe that's an option. And, and you're just getting a guy who's active playing defense, getting rebounds. And that's fine. I wouldn't mind seeing that as well. Whoever can rise up. <laughs> And, and produce and, and fill that role uh, would be great, but one of those guys is going to have to do that. And um, like I say, you know, hopefully Leaf can put together and and uh, fill that role for the Pacers because they could surely use it. Yeah, I mean, the team is their one front court injury away, even if it's a short term injury from you know Leaf or like you said, Alize Johnson. If Leaf's not cutting it from getting, you know, pretty heavy minutes, uh, especially like, I mean, we don't, we know nothing about how Doga is going to play at the NBA level. Uh, hopefully, hopefully he can give, you know, quality minutes from the get go. But if they're going to have to, uh, stagger Sabonis and Turner's minutes a lot, um, after that first stint with the starting lineup in the first and third quarter, then, I mean, that opens up a lot of playing time for that backup power forward, whether it's Leaf or, you know, Alize Johnson. Um, I'm assuming TJ Warren's going to play a heavy amount of minutes at the four, but uh, I don't think that's his best spot just because of his lack of rebounding. And, so, I mean, like I said, I'll, I'll expect 12 to 15 minutes a game from Leaf, at least at the beginning of the season. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, that is, you know, part of the intrigue of this, of this new season, which I am really looking forward to just because there are so many new faces. There's a, a completely new team dynamic and, you know, we really don't know who's going to play well in what role um, in, until we start seeing them out there. Uh, but there are a lot of question marks for uh, Nate McMillan to work through in camp and at the start of the season and hopefully resolve some of those um, by the time Victor Oladipo is healthy and ready to roll. So uh, Brooks, 
ready to wrap up here. Appreciate you jumping on and giving us your thoughts on Miles Team USA and, and uh, Sabonis and Leaf and everything. And uh, we'll be continuing to follow uh, Team USA coverage and, and any recaps after their games. And we'll have you back on the pod to uh, see how things are going uh, at another time. Sound good? Awesome, Tom. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Thanks, Brooks.